Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. When Chris Gay founded Vitality Living in 2016, he sought to push the envelope on innovation and envisioned that one day the company would expand into additional product types beyond assisted living and memory care. Despite the challenges of COVID-19, those ambitions remain in place and are coming to pass. Brentwood, Tennessee-based Vitality is about to open its first active adult project, which will join a portfolio of operational communities that include 16 locations across Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, and Texas. Vitality is also taking stock of lessons learned during the pandemic to refine its operating model, including by increasing the use of digital communication platforms such as Facebook Live. And while he founded Vitality in part out of frustration at what he saw as the industry's slowness to innovate, Chris believes that more operators have started to think differently, and he anticipates the next 10 years will bring significant, positive change. Before we get to my interview, I'd like to share a word from our sponsor, Investors Bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com forward slash SLL. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. And now my interview with Chris Gay, founder and CEO of Vitality Living. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Good to connect. So I think we've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, we've come through a bunch of hard months of COVID-19. We're talking uh, just after the first vaccine started to be administered in the UK. So I think there's increasing hope um, for 2021. But we're kind of in this, maybe on the fulcrum right now of change. So I think it's an interesting time. So to start, maybe we can look back. And I remember we talked, I think it was in March, maybe, um, or April, shortly after the pandemic started, at least in the United States. And we talked about a lot of the things that Vitality was doing at that point. But one thing that stood out to me then and now is the way that you were really stressing communication across uh, the portfolio and harnessing technology to do that, including social media. So to start, I'm wondering if you can just describe how Vitality harnessed Facebook and other platforms to increase communication even that early in COVID-19. Yeah, kind of, it, it's amazing to think that that was when we talked back in March and April, right? I mean, amazing mm-hmm. how much time has gone by and how things have just evolved over the last several months. Uh, but it, it is interesting. I think, and we talked about this when we talked uh, that first time. You know, pre-COVID, the medium still existed, right? Facebook, uh, Instagram, all the social media and the digital side was still there. But I think what COVID did with like it did with many things, it just kind of exacerbated and also really exposed the need to probably either use platforms differently and or just really accelerate or, or look at things from a different perspective. And so we were trying to figure out, like everybody was, a way, how do we let our, let's use our, the example is probably the easiest for this, is families who at that time, it had just started, who would have known, who would have thought it would have gone as long as it has, but a lot of the mandates had just started that were stopping any form of visitation unless essentially it was a central caregiver. 
and that early on, it was no one could come in. And really, they were even even window visits were, were not happening at that point. And so we said, okay, how can you give families a look into the community? How can we help uh, people from the outside see that we're safe, that things are still happening, that life is still happening in our buildings? And so we really you know, jumped into the Facebook piece and other live video feeds in ways of first, really just trying to give our families peace of mind, right? Anyone, you know, look, if any of us, you you're not able to physically see a loved one, but you can at least see a picture or see and have a moment to talk to them through even through FaceTime. At least you have, it's, that's better than no connection. And the response was just unbelievable. I think I shared with you, we started getting so many views that we really decided as a company, let's, let's set some expectations and no longer is it optional. This is stuff we're going to mandate across the, the portfolio. And so we had our executive directors and our leadership teams doing a daily update. And it's a lot of work, right? They had to carve out you know, half hour or so of their day, but we did it 10 o'clock, 10 in the morning, uh, every day. And we asked them to bring on different leaders to involve residents. And at first, you know, some, it came very naturally where they got it and they had really energizing and, and connecting videos. Others, they had to, to kind of work on it a little bit to get there, but all the communities and the teams did a great job. And using that Facebook live theme, like a, or, or platform, like a lot of other platforms, it also allowed for direct interaction, right? Where families could post a chat question or say hi to somebody. And so we just found that to be a great medium. We use it across the company. I myself did several Facebook live events. The other leaders in the organization did. And we just saw that that tool, we knew it was there. It wasn't like it wasn't a tool that wasn't available before. But I think our teams and families saw that as such a great way. And I think post-COVID, we'll continue to use that medium because then it really also took on new meaning when we started doing virtual tours, right? When we could open back up and allow people to move in, how can you connect? You still couldn't have just someone, people weren't always just comfortable and you couldn't do tours in the building. So using the ability to use, whether it's a live feed or pre-recorded and using the digital space to really create a more of a real experience, as much as you can do that with the, the, the video or digital medium, it really, uh, we embrace that. And I think we're seeing other technologies kind of spurn out of that, that I think will change the way we communicate probably for as long as we're in the business. Yeah, that's uh, getting my next question, which is, um, it sounds like you, you really dove into that early in the pandemic. We're doing those daily uh, Facebook live sessions, getting everyone up to speed with how to use the platform. So I was curious where you're at today, if that's still happening, or if you've scaled back, is it less frequent now? And how do you see it continuing in the future? Yeah. Well, we, we still have our, the EVs needed. To, we started to see some fatigue, right? It just got to the point where as anxiety around the virus and the pandemic eased a little bit, it started becoming more repetitive. We realized, okay, sometimes it's quality of information. So we have backed down a bit where our buildings are doing maybe two or three a week, give or take. Sometimes they're doing it more frequently. You know, if, if something occurs that we want to get more out there, we'll utilize it. But they've, they've backed down to doing it less frequently, but they're still using it. We're using it a ton when it comes to communication with prospects. Um, I think that's a great way. And then I think the other big change is, you know, we always did video conferencing before, but it was hard to get people to utilize their cameras, right? People don't like it. Now it's the norm, right? And so I think as we kind of get through this, I think we'll never go back to where we were prior to the pandemic. I think we'll continue to use Zoom and Teams to do more video conferencing. I think we'll continue to use Facebook Lives to do updates on things that hopefully are not are more positive than pandemic related, right? Like we will try to put that through. And I think just really creating that video connection 
in that digital connection with prospects, families, anybody who is is part of our business, our teams, is really going to be part of, of our regular day-to-day because it is there are some benefits to doing that way. When you can't get in person, being able to do that video and using these mediums is better than the traditional phone call or not connecting at all. Yeah, absolutely. So are there other key ways that you would identify that COVID-19 has changed vitality that you think are going to be lasting even as the pandemic wanes and goes away? It's a great question. And I think it's constantly evolving, right? It depends on what day you talk to me, right? It's things are changing. Um, <laughs> but I think communication is one. We've talked a lot about that already, right? I think the way we communicate, how we communicate to everybody in our ecosphere is, is going to be different no matter what go forward. I think, you know, I really see us looking at now, I've been cautious, you know, what happens traditionally in a situation, whether it's a pandemic or some other event, it drives a lot of whether it's technology or solutions of what different natures into a space. And I've tried to be, we've tried to be very mindful and cautious and not just start grabbing solutions, try to really figure out the ones that will make an impact. But I do think some of those things are the way we clean our buildings, right? There's a lot of technology out here. Uh, whether it's through air purification, you're using ultraviolet light, whether it's you know electrostatic, electromagnetic spray cleaners and things of that nature, like that technology, which either A, improves your ability to clean surfaces more routinely and faster, or B, gives you a better you know cleaning rate or for lack of a better term, virus kill rate for certain things. Uh, I think having more air cleaning, you know, those types of technologies, I think you'll see we're really looking at all that tech and trying to figure out, because to me, that has long-standing benefits, not just against COVID, but other airborne pathogens and other things that are, we face with our, our resident population that can be not good to their health. And so I think how we all look at how we are keeping our buildings safer and cleaner, and then I think design-wise, like physical setup, there will be some changes to just allow, we all hope, right, Tim, I think none of us I hope we we all hope that we get through this pandemic and never have to experience something like this again. But I think it would be wrong not to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And so I think you'll see changes in the way communal dining is set, changes in the way maybe entrances or how screening happens. Um, One of the examples I know that I think is very near and dear, that's very easy and tangible to explain is I can see us keeping some of the um, screening pieces in place, expectations in place for visitors and even employees during peak flu seasons, and even just in general, right, where we're, t- we're screening people for if they're feeling ill to keep other things, because we know the flu, the general flu can be devastating to our resident population. The neurovirus can be devastating. So I think you'll see precautions that were put in place, maybe not to the extent at the pandemic peak, but precautions that we put in screening and and managing our own internal population as far as when they were not feeling well, probably elements or pieces of those will stay in place indefinitely to help us get our arms and screen better. Because I do feel if we we put some of the same kind of focus on flu season as we have with COVID uh, screening precautions, we'd have better outcomes uh, with that as well. So I think we'll all learn from that and you'll see that be a focus. So really the three years, communication, just general procedures and protocols when it comes to that, the the infection control. And then I think you'll see some design changes going forward. Great. So obviously the pandemic's really taken a toll on the industry. We've seen occupancy go down across the board. Where are you at today at Vitality in terms of being able to rebuild occupancy and and operate on a more normalized basis? Yeah. Yeah, Again, another great question. I think you... 
you could interview 10 operators and get probably a different response from all of them. I, I will tell you, we were, um, I think we've been very lucky and very blessed in a number of regions. And so we are, most of our properties in the Southeast were in more rural or in areas that didn't get the initial phase. The virus didn't impact us initially. So we went a longer time before our first cases started hitting our buildings. That was part luck. That was part, I think, because our teams are working really hard and, and doing everything we can to keep the virus out of our buildings, but that gave us time. And so I think it gave us the ability to probably be more proactive than reactive than some of my peers. Like some of my peers that were in the West Coast and Northeast didn't have time, right? They just, the virus was in their buildings before they even knew it. And it was on their doorstep. And so having that time to learn and watch helped us be a little bit more prepared. Uh, that put us in a position, we never got to the point where we had to stop moving people in. Uh, we were very aggressive on sourcing PPE, so we had strong PPE stocks in place. Uh, we were very aggressive in testing, so we were able to identify uh, a great testing partner, Integrity Labs, based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, that we've been able to stay with during this whole uh, uh, pandemic. And so we had testing, we had PPE, we, we had policies and, and procedures in place. And so we had, you know, we've had a few spur, you know, buildings here and there that had some tough months where they had maybe a, a, a rough run with the virus and they've lost some census, but we've been able to maintain. And in the last few months, we're starting to see signs that traffic and things are picking up and getting back to normal. Now, I don't know what this latest uptick of the virus activity will do. We'll have to see. But hopefully it's mitigated by the vaccine as it starts to come out. And so um, I'm hoping that the trend that I saw here in, in October and November continues and we're starting to see it. But we were fortunate, uh, again, for a little bit of just our proximity and, and the time we had that we were able to prepare. We haven't lost uh, as much ground. Now, some of our buildings are new builds, so they're in Phillips. So they're definitely not filling up as fast as we modeled them to but they're still getting positive traction, which is good. Yeah, that's great. I guess as long as we're on this topic of where the portfolio is located, where the communities are located, I also wanted to talk to you about some of the growth plans for Vitality. And, and specifically, I know that you and I had talked recently about a project in Tupelo in Mississippi. And I thought you had some interesting thoughts on markets like Tupelo that have maybe been under the radar in terms of senior living development that I think from what we're reporting, are now getting more attention as people have been able to have more flexibility in where they live due to remote working and due to some other trends as well. I get the sense that those types of smaller markets are beginning to hold more appeal. So can you talk a little bit about um, maybe Tupelo specifically or just in general, your thoughts on some of these um, maybe less obvious markets for for growth? Yeah. Yeah. and I think so. That's interesting because even before COVID, mm-hmm. and I think you and I spoke about that, it, it, we were looking for every, all of us were like, I'm no different than, than the other, my other operating peers in the space and development peers in the space. We were all looking for those underserved markets, right? Where are those little honey holes of build markets that maybe there's not a lot of product there, great resident demographics or potential, you know, draw for adult decision makers that maybe are underserved and or have product that's maybe a little bit older. And that's kind of what we found in Tupelo. I think post-COVID, to the point you make, it'll be very interesting to see what the long-term impact of, because I think one of the things that will stay in the general workforce is this ability to allow people to be more remote. I think COVID, there's a positive you know, out of COVID where that's shown 
companies and industries that you can put workers more remote and give them more freedom to maybe live where they want and they can still be productive. That in turn has benefits, you know, for the business. If you drop your overhead because you're not having to be as big of an office space and it creates better productivity and, and better workplace balance because people are at home. So it'll be interesting to see is, because I think the other thing that is, again, I say this, this is my opinion, but we saw how this pandemic affected densely populated parts of the country and the world. And so I do think there's going to be some movement where people say, hey, let me get out of this dense city and let me get out to, for lack of a better term, the rural country area. And so I think then you're going to see markets like Tupelo's and other markets, even up in the Northeast, that maybe weren't necessarily uh, dense, start to get some density. <laughs> and I think there'll be some opportunity. I think, too, maybe our our customer base may want to live in a place that's less dense, right? Because they, you, you, know, you follow the virus how it affected it definitely obviously had a larger impact on areas that were more densely populated than those that aren't. So I think there may be some opportunity there too. Uh, we've got another project in Madison, Georgia that just opened last week. That is a patio home project. And it's, you know, about a half hour, 45 minutes Southeast of Atlanta. So outside of the Atlanta area. And it is, uh, but it's all one story patio homes on 73 acres. And so it's very open. So you get the same benefits of living in a community setting from a many standpoint, but you get a lot of freedom and a lot of space. And I think that's going to appeal to a lot more people than it than maybe that would have uh, prior to COVID. That's interesting. Have you thought about small homes at all? Uh, I know that you're bullish on the patio home concept, but we're also hearing of more people, I think, looking into kind of tiny homes, collections of tiny homes, ways to create kind of a cluster of people while still having more kind of separation than a single building, given the infection control concerns that the pandemic brought up? Well, person, my wife and I joke about go moving to a tiny home all the time. And just oh, put a really? bunch of them so our kids <laughs> are all off of it. <laughs> no, I think, that, I, I think that's, again, with that same, it's similar to like what I was talking about with Madison, that patio home. I, I think options like that will probably be more appealing to pe- to a number of people than they may have been prior to COVID, right? Whether it's tiny home, whether it's patio homes, you know, whether it's, you know, more rural markets, I think you're going to see individuals look to find to go to places where they can have that space, but still have some connection. And those kind of communities will allow that. Um, I think also, you know, uh, I think people had have probably will put less premium on larger spaces and more on making sure they're in safer spaces. And so I think all that has an effect. So as it's specific to tiny homes, outside of my personal kind of infatuation with them, I haven't really, uh, uh, looked at them from a senior housing perspective, but I think it's an interesting concept, and it's very similar to that patty home concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, another, I guess, hot topic on the development front is hotel repositionings because of the way that the hotel industry has been hit by the pandemic. Um, people anticipating opportunity there to acquire buildings that um, haven't done well and maybe convert them to senior living. I know you've done some of that, and I think are doing mm-hmm. some of that. So you have this yeah. sort of. Uh, take on it. What do you think about the opportunity out there and some of the excitement about that potential? Well, I think it's it's definitely interesting, right? Because it may allow, it's, it's what we were talking about earlier, right? It, you may, it may allow a, a developer operating group to get into a market faster that maybe is underserved or needs uh, some repositioning or needs some additional product, right? Um, you mentioned we're working on a couple and that's one is a case in point. We've got this opportunity to maybe get into a market much faster than if we wanted to develop in that market, right? If we wanted to build from ground up, we're two and a half, three years if we're lucky, if everything goes right, versus getting in and doing a hotel reposition where maybe in under a year, 
you can make your conversions and be open for business. So I think it's a way to an opportunity because obviously there'll be a, they're assuming there's some depressed pricing on those types of assets based on, on what's happened in that industry. So I think there may be from an economic standpoint, you may be able to get in something at a lower basis. And, and even with your repositioning and uh, you know, the money you're putting into refurbishing the, the product, you may find yourself in a lower basis than if you wanted to, to build from scratch. Uh, speed to a market, right? If it's an existing structure and there's not any barriers to converting it to senior housing, you could probably get into a market much faster. And those, those are the things that were appealing to the projects that we were doing. But we still had to run them through the, the same, you know, you want to make sure, and I think, you know, we and I have talked about this, you still want to run through the same checkpoints, right? It still has to be a good market, right? You got to, it's got to be opportunities, it's got to be enough of a population base to serve. Um, you want to make sure with hotels, though, too, you're buying the right kind of product. Some hotels will be better positioned than others. And, you know, if you're trying to go in and you're going to a market and trying to compete with brand new state-of-the-art construction, that either is open or is opening, and you're trying to bring a, a hotel that maybe is an older 20-year product that maybe doesn't have the same amenity opportunity, you got to work it through that. We've been fortunate. The projects we're working on both have great amenity spaces and also have great room layouts, which we think are equal or better than what's out there currently in the markets we're working at. But you still got to run through the same filters and then make sure that the, you know, the product has what it needs to make it appealing to the resident base or resident population. But I do definitely see opportunity there. And again, for the two reasons, based on basis, you probably get in for lower cost. And then it gives you speed to a market possibly that uh, would take, you know, you get in much sooner than had you had to build from scratch or there's no product you can buy already in place. That makes sense. So we are heading into 2021. What do you have in mind for the year ahead? Uh, if I can ask you maybe a three-part question, talk about your some hopes or reasons for optimism for the next year. What are some of the top concerns that you have and where are you really focused? What are your top priorities uh, in, the, in the first couple weeks or months? Yeah, yeah great. So, I, I mean, I think we'll start with the hopes, right? So mm-hmm. I think the hopes are that they're probably a little bit more uh, my hopes are a little more short-term focused this year than they may they uh, traditionally am at this point in the year, right? Usually at this point in a non-pandemic situation, I'm not only thinking about the year to come, but what are we doing to also continue down the path to positioning us where we want to be three, five years out. I think the the this last year has kind of brought my hope strategy to more of a focus. And it's really based on, first and foremost, the hope that the vaccine makes the impact and performs the way that the initial studies are showing, right? That's hope one, because I think that will bring a, a tremendous amount of relief and stress and, and relieve a ton of anxiety that I think will be good for not only our industry, but for the whole country and for the world. And so my first hope is that vaccine really, the vaccine, the vaccines that are coming out really have that impact and that they are the side effects too much that so that people take the vaccine. I think that's my biggest hope right now. Um, with that hope comes that we're able to start getting back to, we'll never get back to the, the way it was, but get back to that, for the term that's overused, that new normal here sooner than later. You know, I hope that by the end of the first quarter, we're starting to kind of get back to some traction, get some feeling on. And then my biggest hope is by mid-year, we're through this and we're back to repositioning and restabilizing. And I think if things go the best case scenario, my hope is that there's some pent-up demand for our product that really floods into the entire industry and so that we see 
you know, occupancy rates and, and people from the occupancy side come to move in. But I also hope that the vaccine works and that maybe others, because the biggest, you know, the biggest headwind, Tim, we, we were facing prior to, to COVID-19 was also labor shortages, right? We had significant labor shortages. My hope is that employees look and people that are, are looking at work and looking at careers, look at our industry and say, okay, they were more stable, right? They needed to still care for people, even though it was frontline, they still had to care for people. So there was no instability in the job market. And because it was frontline, they were serving and doing something different. And because it was frontline, they got the access to the vaccine and PPE faster than others. And what I hope that does is maybe attract some people to this industry. So my two biggest hopes are we get through this by the end of the, the like by mid-year, we're kind of turning that that corner. We're kind of through the, the main part of the, the, the we're not at, not only at the light of the tunnel, but we're at the end of the tunnel. And that because of that, we see some of this pent-up occupancy demand come to us. And we see some maybe folks on the employment side that maybe weren't necessarily looking at senior housing as a, as a job or a career path, make some shifts based on maybe they were in the service industry and they say, okay, I never want to be in that situation again. So let me find a more stable workforce. And so we get through all this. We learn a lot more you know, about uh, the way our buildings operate from a, a pandemic situation. That's helpful. We, we get some of that occupancy going again and get back to moving people in and start really finally tapping into that that senior tsunami that is we've been all waiting to happen here for a decade and a half. And then hopefully we get some uh, employees that maybe some people that weren't necessarily looking at senior housing as a career path, make some changes based on those factors I noted. So those would be my hopes. My top concern is obviously that none of that happens, right? There's a, there's a you know, the vaccine doesn't, you know, hit the way it's supposed to. Now, I don't expect it to go exactly how they're they're expecting it to or, or how it's being touted, but I think uh, my top concern is that the hiccups or the issues are greater, whether it's the virus itself or from the logistics of getting the virus to people. Those That takes longer. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to because I think that will create a whole new wave of anxiety. Uh, and if the virus keeps going unchecked, I think that will just really put a dark cloud on the start of the year. And my concern is that lasts longer. You mentioned earlier, we started talking about this in March or April. My first communication to my team about COVID-19 went out February 28th. And so to think we're you know, getting closer to a year of dealing with this, there's only so much people can handle. And I just, I worry about our teams. I worry about our people. I worry about the, the country and the world if this thing goes on. So that's my, my big concern and is that some of this and even, you know, then my second tier concern would be even if we start getting through this and maybe it's, we're not completely through it by mid-year, but it's a little bit longer. My, my top concern is how long will the COVID hangover, for lack of a better term, stay? Because I think, you know, we'll get the virus under control, but people's psyches will still be damaged from this. And so we're going to have to work really hard to get people back on track, get perceptions back to moving forward and get people more in a positive. So those would be my, my concerns. So how that all sums up to my priorities. I'm focused right now, first and foremost, communicating, educating, and getting my all my people, residents, workers positioned to hopefully have the opportunity to get this vaccine. I don't, you know, we're not going to be able to mandate anybody to do it unless the government changes that, but I'm going to do everything I can to educate and motivate people to, to as long as they feel they can get this vaccine, it's, it's, uh, they can remain healthy to get it and, and get that vaccine. I think then it's also trying to reset and, prepare everyone and try to get them to see the forest, the trees. And what I mean by that is we're, we're getting through this. 
So we cannot let this define who we are and how we're going to run our business in 2021. We've still got to operate in a COVID world. We have to operate in a post-COVID world, but we're really going to get back to really focusing on our business to make sure that when COVID does pass, we still have the ability to operate a really good business and we have a business that is still going to be successful because I don't think the positive fundamentals of senior housing that drew us all to this business have changed. COVID may shape them a little differently. COVID may have some ripple effects, but I think ultimately when we get beyond COVID, those same you know factors and those same dynamics that drew us to this business will still be there. And so I want to make sure as many people are there uh, prepared to take advantage and to move that business forward when we get through. Terrific. And then lastly, I guess I'm curious, if I can just ask you to reflect, maybe I'm thinking back as we're talking to, I think we first met at a NIC conference, maybe when you were first founding Vitality. And so it's been interesting to track the company over the years. And I guess I'm just wondering if I can ask you to reflect on what that sort of journey has been like for you with the company, bringing it where it is today. And I think that one of the things we talked about early on was maybe some frustration that you felt with a lack of innovation in the industry. You mentioned mm-hmm. that Vitality is already there with digital. We're reporting that a lot of providers, this is a wake-up call for them. And so I don't know if I have a very specific question, except just asking maybe for your thoughts in general, as you have now gone through a pandemic, you've gone through a lot with the company. Uh, what have you learned? And do you think that this actually might be good in terms of uh, driving some innovation going forward? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's funny. You're right. I think it was right after I'd founded Vitality. You know, I had some very strong beliefs and views that, you know, as I came out and everyone does, just, you know, starting my own company and really wanted to get behind. But innovation and using innovation and technology the right way has always been a core fundamental for me. And that's just from years of trying or seeing platforms get rolled out and thinking they really look great on paper and then they really don't make the impact. And so mm-hmm. that has been remained a driving principle and a driving force with, with my whole team as we've, we've built Vitality. We've been very fortunate, as you know, you know, I've had to make partnership changes in the middle of growing this company and really shift the whole model. But ultimately, that ended up being a great shift and I think prepared us for even what we've gone through the last six months. Now, we've been blessed and fortunate to have some great partners and really have some really strong growth. And what we've remained really focused on, even when tough times have come, right? Because when you don't, you can have great ideas, but you have to also be able to have the resources to execute on those ideas. And so as we've grown the company, there have been times that we maybe have not been able to move in the direction we wanted to, but we've maintained that belief that you've got to have, you've got to be thinking ahead. You always have to be thinking tomorrow. You always have to be innovative, but then also making sure that innovation is executable and really does do what it's intended to do. And so, like I've said always, COVID has exacerbated a lot of this. And and so I'll use a real-time example is initially everybody, the screening started and everybody wanted to do the temperature screening. And it was all this technology that flooded the market about get your temp screened and, you know, infrared and this and that. Ever we looked at a company and a good company, but they had an infrared camera to screen for temperature. And then three months later, you find out that you can have COVID-19 and be completely asymptomatic and temperature doesn't matter. Now, do I think screening for temps is a bad thing? No, I think it's a good thing, but it's just, I use it as an example of we've got to be innovative, but we've got to make sure the innovation is stuff that really makes a difference. But I think it, as I've looked at growing vitality, we've tried to keep that focus, that, that kind of foot in both worlds, really staying connected to the team, but very proud that we're, we're, we try to really listen. Uh, one of our core values is we see and hear. And what I mean by that is we listen to everybody. And so we're constantly trying to get feedback 
and trying to really determine what makes a real impact and what's going to make a difference for the lives of our families, our lives, our residents, and our lives, our team members. And so we stayed in that, but then also an, an eye forward saying, okay, what's out there? What can we do different? What can we do that's going to be successful for the company, but shape and really hopefully make an impact that's a little bit unique. And so the Madison project is a really case in point for us. That's a that's a first for us. It is truly an active adult project. And I don't want to put, you know this from my previous conversations. I don't like putting labels on things, but it's a, you know, it is a patio home, pickleball courts, swimming pools, gyms, you know, it's a high amenity space, high amenity product. But that to me is an innovative product because it's rural market. Like we talked about, it's going to be trying to shape and trying to, to reach an older adult sooner in their kind of retirement cycle. And so I think all of us have tried to do some of those things, but really looking at that and using technology to try to connect with those people better. I think we've got a great opportunity. We we're talking about digital earlier. We're 20 years ago. How would you find those folks? Now with the digital world, I can be in Madison, Georgia and connect with someone in California digitally and, and start that uh, relationship and that experience. And so I think it's really trying to, we're trying to stay, keep an eye on that kind of innovation side and, and how do we use different opportunities. But I think the biggest thing over the last four years is that reminder that this is a business you really have to have a passion for. Um, this is not an easy business. You know this from talking to my peers, all of us. Uh, I think a lot of folks look at our business and want to try to get into it because they think it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy to take care of grandma. It's not. You're, you, have a, you have someone's family. You have the, the lives of folks. Uh, you're really, our business really makes a difference when it's done right, but can also be tough when it's not done right. So there's a lot of, this is a tough business. So you really have to have a passion for it. So I'm proud about my team is we've not lost that passion. And I've got a group of people that are really focused on that, but we're still also focused on how can we do it different, right? We're passionate about the business. We think it's a great business, but we all see there's opportunities to really do it different and do it better. And I think uh, I've talked to a lot of companies that there's a lot of companies thinking like we are. And I think that will help uh, that frustration, you know, that I expressed that was at a time when I was coming out and getting out there. And what I've probably changed the most over the last four years is yes, you're right. There's some companies that are behind, but I'm starting to see a lot more companies that are ahead. I'm starting to see a lot more innovative companies and companies like Vitality that are starting to think differently and starting to apply. And so that gives me a ton of hope. Uh, and it gives me a ton of excitement about where this industry is going to go over the next 10 years. I think we'll see some significant change in whether that's, you know, we go small regional companies, but I think you'll just see the way companies operate, the way companies um, interact. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of change. And I hope a positive that comes out of COVID is it helps accelerate some of that reinvestment in the things that matter, right? You mentioned digital. I think that's really important for us to get into that space as an industry and really capitalize on it. And so uh, if, if COVID for all the bad, I hope some good comes out of it. And if some of that is getting companies to think a little more innovatively and focusing on things that are really going to make an impact on the industry, I think that it will be one of the positives that comes out of this. Fantastic. I know we're uh, out of time, but I guess I didn't realize that that Madison project really was kind of a pure play, active adult. Is that a, do you have other projects that are similar in the works or is that a growth area that you foresee in the future? Well, yeah, we would. So we want to, we're always, you know, we want to be smart. So the partners, you know, I'm a partner in that, that project actually personally. And so the partnership wants to really test this one because it's a rural market, right? It's, it's a different market where you usually see that, that kind of density. And so I think we want to get through and see how this project does. And um, we're all optimistic. It really just opened last week. So it's a little early in the life cycle. But I think if it performs as we all expect it to, I can see us looking to really do that product in other markets like Madison across the country. 
And that is a patio home, rental patio home model, no congregate living component to it? Yeah. Yeah. We Now we have for Madison, we have a phase two that we can add a small AL and IL, I mean, AL and MC, right? Because I do still think the continuum is still powerful mm-hmm. when people have the ability to kind of to, to um, have that continuum opportunity if they need it. But it'll be a small, it won't be the focal point, right? Which you traditionally see the AL memory is the focal point of a project. It'll be kind of the the add-on. And if we phase out the whole thing, we'll have over 200 patio homes. And these are high-end, large square foot, modern amenities, uh, modern finishes. So we've got it and we've got really uh, some really neat, it's a really neat project. It feels very residential, which I think uh, our, our residents will appreciate too, right? They don't want to feel like they're moving away from something that's more, you know, as we always said, less residential, more clinical. Yeah. That's an interesting model because I, I've i been wondering sort of the place of IL in the continuum, traditional independent living, because it seems like the boomers are into this more active adult lifestyle model, mm-hmm. and they have now the ability mm-hmm. to stay there potentially with gig economy, on-demand technology, and all of these things to age in place for a longer time and maybe just move right into AL. It sounds like that. Is that the model that basically this community might be. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we've got a really cool concept. The partners we're doing with, they did a lot of student housing. So we actually have our, we call our villas, which are two bedroom condos that are great and more traditional patio home. And then we have our villages, which are actually a one bedroom quad. And so what it does is it gives each you know, the residents their own private space, but there's some shared common area space if they want to use it. And then each quad has like a courtyard area and so it's a way to have uh, you know a different price point, maybe a little smaller. Uh, they're still a good size. They're still really big, but uh, have a little bit more um, privacy and still be able to share a space with some folks if you want to. And so we're really excited to see how that concept works in the market as well. All right, great. What's the name of that community? That is Vitality at Madison. Vitality Medicine. So, yeah, if you, and when you want to get out there, you let me know. I'll take you out there. We'll play around and pick a ball. <laughs> well, I'm a big racket sports guy, so that sounds very appealing <laughs> to me. Um, so I'll hopefully take you up on that soon. Fingers crossed. But uh, this was a great conversation as always. Thanks for uh, taking the time and best of luck in the new year. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate your time. Take care. Take care. Before we conclude this episode, I'd like to again thank our sponsor, Investors Bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com forward slash SLL. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening.